0: Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And here we go. The patented, much anticipated Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, what's happening?
1: Duff McKagan here. Uh, listen, uh, the Edge and Bono walked into a bar. The bartender says, not you too again.
0: Zingo. Thank you very much. Bye. All right. Another Duff McKagan original. That was a good one. Uh, I'm not sure it was funnier, uh, the joke, or Duff cracking himself up, uh, which is always funny with his uh, laid-back delivery. Uh, if you want more laughs, though, check out the latest episode of the Winnipeggers. We release new shows every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. Uh, Rybo, Speewe, and I uh, are sure to make you laugh. Uh, if not with us, then definitely at us. Uh, come hang with the Winnipeggers on Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern, on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. And this week, it's sports, high school sports that we played uh, when we were kids, water polo, hockey, basketball, lots of great stories, lots of great guests, fan email, Dave's rants, lots of crazy stuff. So come join us. It's always a blast. And uh, join me as I narrate season three of Dark Side of the Ring and join Evan Husney and Jason Eisner as they return to talk as Jericho to talk about their very uh, critically acclaimed hit show, Dark Side of the Ring. And season three just debuted this week with an episode dealing with Brian Pillman. That's a two-parter. Uh, once again, it's 14 episodes, and I am back as the narrator. Evan and Jason are here to preview what's coming, what it was like to make and film some of these episodes. They cover the plane ride from hell, a famous WWE story, the WWE steroid trials, and they actually got Vince McMahon's top lawyer, Jerry McDevitt, to sit down for that one. Not easy to get him. And wait till you hear what it was like and how it came together. You'll find out how they landed Steve Austin for the Pillman episode, what inspired them to dig into the deathmatch wrestling culture and Nick Gage. This will tell this crazy story of my former Smoky Mountain roommate, Bruiser Bedlam. They do deep dives on The Ultimate Warrior, the tragic story of Chris Canyon, the Dynamite Kid, and even FMW. Coming up to share some of the -the behind-the-scenes stories for the making of these episodes And some of the moments from the uh, interviews that didn't make the final cut. Also talking about what they might do for a fourth season. I'm sure people will want to see it. Dark Side of the Ring Season 3 is here with creators uh, Evan Husney and Jason Eisner. On Talk is Jericho, starting now. One of the kind of uh, most popular wrestling shows over the last few years is Dark Side of the Ring. And uh, Season 3 is about to start up and we have uh evan has the and jason what's your last name is jason
1: jason eisner
0: i i thought i was eisner like like michael eisner ex yeah. disney uh Kinda, yeah. so you're in the disney family somewhere down the line
1: <laughs> maybe somewhere like if we track back to like the 1700s we could find a connection
0: <laughs> so um let's just go i mean obviously we've worked together for a few years now um when i started to narrate dark side season two so um we spoke then about the show and, and about the hopes of doing a season three and here we are. So how did kind of
2: season three come about? Oh man, it was like uh, I think it was like shortly thereafter season two wrapped up. You know, Vice was really uh, amped on how season two performed and they they wanted to make more, but when we got the call, the, like the official call, like let's go. I I had no I was not anticipating fourteen episodes would be the amount that they were they were wanting to to do, which is a lot. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but it's just like, whoa, we got to find 14 stories that can, you know, be as good as the last season, if not better. And that was like daunting. So, you know... Which is pretty much like double the amount of episodes that we already had because we had 16 between the two seasons and now we're basically- oh wow so there's only there was only eight in season two there was six in season one and okay. ten in season two gotcha and so we're, we're basically doubling it you know in the course of a year so it was a it was a daunting task you know for sure but but you know awesome
0: so, what, um, I mean, I know we kind of discussed before, oh, we could try this for some stories and that for some stories. And I guess I, the thing is, not to, without sounding too morbid, like you don't want every story to involve somebody that's, that's dead, quite frankly, because there's only so many of those guys to begin with. And like you said, now you need another 14 stories. So, kind of, how did you um, delve into which topics you want to cover? And is it just the two of you guys that are kind of in charge?
1: Well, like what we do is, you know, we we have our dream list of like topics that we've always had, you know, even from like season one. We weren't able to quite get the access that you know we probably needed, but now we do with with season three. How do
0: you mean by the access?
1: Like for instance, like we would have, um, like we would have loved to have done the Brian Pillman episode, you know, probably in season one. It was definitely talked about. But we wouldn't have probably have gotten jr or Steve Austin at that point and you know you said no street
2: cred yeah we gotcha, didn't have like right.
1: that no we
2: didn't have the wrestling street cred mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah with having you know the first two seasons um under our belt we were we had that cred and then we also after every season is wrapped up we put it out on our social media to like all our fans like what would you like to see us do if we got another season and like season one when we did that we got thousands of responses and Evan like put them all into like an Excel spreadsheet and divided it up and tallied it all out. We did the same thing for season two. After season two, we asked everyone. And so with that, we're, we get everyone's feedback and then with ourselves and then with our team that we have in Toronto, uh, we kind of all debate what we want to do. And Also,
2: when we're, when we're looking at the stories, it's not also just about kind of, you know, ranking the tragedies and, you know, what are the tragedies we want to tell? Because it is because, you know, we do want to tell these human stories. Whatever the most compelling human interest story is in wrestling are the ones that we th- want to dive into. And that's kind of the main criteria, you know, because Jason and I are always so sensitive to, you know, we want to make sure the show is engaging to non-wrestling fans too. Like we want to we want to turn people on to wrestling also. We want people to be invested in these characters that we're that – we're, that we're um, exploring. And so uh, for us, we're just looking at what stories can, can captivate an audience for an hour that transcend just the details of their tragic life or just the details of their wrestling career. So, and it it is a large team of all of us kind of diving into those and seeing how it would play out and seeing, you know, can it work? Can it flow as a, you know, and have, have a full arc. And, you know, these are the, I think season three is really representative of a lot of different types of stories, but they all kind of fit that mold of, of, you know these are these are going to be fascinating to you know your aunts and your uncles and your you know you know as, just as much as it would be you know your fans
0: and that, and that's one of the secrets to why the show is so successful cuz i've been doing a lot of press for um for the for the season 3 the debut the the yeah, thank you. opener and i think something that i keep saying is it's the same thing when i wrote my books like i don't write them for wrestling fans cuz wrestling fans are going to read them anyways i try and write them for people that just like a good story and I keep equating it to I watched The Last Dance um, miniseries about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. I am probably have never seen a Chicago Bulls game in my life. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I know Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, but I don't know really any of the other cats. Dennis Rodman, obviously. But watching that behind-the-scenes story of how they built this championship team and all the politics they had to go through and the relationships, it was very, very interesting. And that's kind of what Dark Side of the Ring is as well, is that – You don't have to be a wrestling fan, um, nor even should you be in a lot of ways. Because I think it does kind of uh, open up a lot of doors as to just how hard the wrestling lifestyle can be and the toll that it takes on some of these iconic personalities. Everyone knows Ultimate Warrior, but what's the real story behind the guy? And it's kind of a a real interesting picture that gets painted.
2: Yeah, I think The Last Dance is 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 a great comparison in that way because you know i i same like you know i grew up with the bulls you know just on the periphery not really much of a sports guy growing up but you know riveted you know riveted by the drama and the, and the and the politics of the team and and the human side of it and that's that's exactly what we try and do we always felt that from the beginning like setting out to make this show we were like you know looking at the bruiser brody story and it was like you know what's interesting about it is the the family side everything that you have this like murder story and all the other things that are happening around. And it just makes it even that more exotic and interesting that it's in the wrestling world, you know, even though we're right. huge fans I mean, we love wrestling and that's a part of it too. But yeah, that's exactly how we try to approach it.
1: I like too, and that uh, they kind of, maybe they took a note from us on it is when they, um they would put uh, an iPad in front of Michael Jordan and get him to like, you get to see his reaction to like the clips, like right there right. in the interview. And we did that with, multiple times you know with uh with uh brawl for all Ed, brawl for <laughs> all yeah having everyone watch their matches again and, and commentate on it there
0: who'd you say you did that with
1: we did it with uh with everyone almost on in the brawl for all episode with the godfather and vince russo and jim Cornette, and then the great one was with uh D'Lo brown watching uh new jack uh stab <laughs> uh hunter red in the ring like his reaction <laughs> from that was crazy but yeah he's stabbing
0: Once again, a very eclectic group of topics, Um, you know, kind of like asking Stephen King where he gets his ideas. And you mentioned that you had uh, a lot of fan input, but but how did you kind of decide on these topics uh, for the 14 episodes you wanted to do?
2: So Brian Pillman was a story that's always been fascinating to us. and, And one, like Jason was saying, we considered even all the way back in the beginning and I, I think I can't quite remember, but I was on the road either for season one or two filming. And this amazing book came out called "Crazy Like a Fox," yeah, and which is the the sweeping biography of Brian Pillman. And that just captivated me in terms of like I, I knew the in ring side of Brian, like I knew the loose cannon and all the drama into creating the character and all that stuff. But I didn't understand really the turmoil at home and the you know the the uh, various you know his various you know uh, partners and 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 children and all these pressures that he had you know and then his job is to be crazy at work and then he's going crazy at home and and then somewhere in the middle you know he hasn't he he's the loose cannon almost like that that switch is not turned off and that was really compelling you know to me as uh, as a subject but it seemed like stone getting steve austin for that show was vital because, you know, their careers are intertwined in, 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 in many ways. WCW and, and the launch of the Attitude Era. You know, it's hard to talk about the Attitude Era and not mention Pillman's got a gun, you know, on Raw. Mm. And um, But we're talking about Street cred, It's like, uh, you know, we tried to get to Steve on Season 2, but we didn't hear back, really. And then when it was time to do Season 3, it was like, okay, now's the time to do Pillman. It's going to be a two-parter. It's going to be an epic story. Let's do it. And I called Brian Jr., Great guy. Brian Jr. is amazing. And he was all for it. And he kind of helped us, you know, even even though like, you know, his family and the relationships of his family, it's very complicated in terms of everyone's, you know, it's, it is semi-fractured there, but he got everybody together because he recognized that this story has to be complete and everyone has to have their voice in it. And that was amazing. And so he helped round up everybody. And then, you know, good old JR. I mean, you know, JR is the best. He told me, he was like, you can't do this story without Steve. And one day I'm watching television late at night and I get a text and I'm on a text chain with Steve Austin because of Jr. Which
0: is, <laughs> so Jim set that up.
2: Jim set it up, which yeah. is awesome. And then, yeah, we were off to the races and, and then we really had a, we had a show. And so that we kind of just built the whole season kind of around wanting to anchor it around the story of Brian Pillman, because we just felt like it's such a epic. It, it checks all the boxes for the types of stories we like to tell on the, on the show.
1: Yeah. We're like so fascinated too, by, you know, the performers who really, you know, took their gimmick to those extremes, you know, into their like everyday life. Like, you know, we started the show off with Bruiser Brody, who is one of like the best examples of, you know, people didn't know who the real person was and trying to navigate. And so for us to, yeah, hit, hit season three off with this, I think it just, it just sets the tone again, like going into it, like what the show is all about.
0: It's interesting that that kind of pops up time and time again, where you don't know where the character ends and the real person starts. I mean, you find that with the Pillman story, the ultimate warrior story is very much involved in that dynamite kid touches on that. You have these guys that are such great characters and so committed into it that they kind of lose sight of who the real people are in a lot of ways.
1: Totally. It's, it's, you know, fascinating. And there, you know, we're doing a story this season That's probably our most contemporary story we've ever done about Nick Gage, who's Mm. like a deathmatch wrestler. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know a lot about him before we, you know, dove into his story for this. And it was, it became really fascinating because he is also somebody who I don't know if there is a difference between his like gimmick and his real, the real person. Yeah. It kind of seems like it could be just
2: the same right 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 there's some awesome uh definitely some authenticity there with nick gage and you know deathmatch wrestling is not really necessarily my cup of tea i mean if it's fmw it is i'm down <laughs> with fmw i like the glossy deathmatch wrestling <laughs> the high budget deathmatch wrestling but the uh the like kind of you know more contemporary style was not on my radar and yeah. You know, fans, viewers of our show were pointing us in that direction of you got to check out this Nick Gage guy. And I was like, whoa, because I do remember the David Arquette incident, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, which I think you did, too.
0: Yeah, where where Nick Gage almost killed David Arquette, basically.
2: (laughs) Crazy, 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 crazy. So when we dove into his story and we're like, whoa, this guy has. A fascinating background in terms of you know rising up. I didn't know really much about CZW and that whole scene, but you know rising up through that, and of course you know he robbed a bank, you know in a, in, a, in a moment of you know desperation and homelessness, and then he spends you know seven years in jail and comes out, and now it's, that's kind of wrapped into his gimmick, and it was just a wild story that seemed to check our boxes, of course. But when we were making this episode, it was the first time ever making the show where I felt like we are telling a story that's not finished. You know, there's, this story is not, there's no end to it. And this is just capturing a moment in time for Nick. And it's kind of now up to him to end it, you know, as, as Brett Lauderdale from uh, Game Changer Wrestling says in the, in the episode. And I, yeah. And that was interesting. That was something new for us was like, now we're capturing a moment in time in in a wrestler's career. And that was, that was cool because I feel like we could explore more things like that in the future, but man, like, yeah, it's that story in particular. I think is one of the more. I know our standards and practices, folks. Advice were like, no, 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 no. When they, when we were submitting stuff from that, there just was a,
0: because of the gory footage, sort of thing.
2: Oh man, yeah. I, I think more so than yeah, any other episode we have that there's only there's strict times that that episode can only air yeah. in. Oh wow.
1: Yeah, there's like especially this whole sequence where he goes to the tournament of death and he actually like died, but he like bled out so much that he like ended up dying on the way to the hospital and was brought back to life. And then it's just like, when you see that footage, it's like so intense.
0: It's interesting to me because that once again, I had never heard of Nick Gage, you know, and I'm pretty obviously adverse as to what's going on in wrestling, but I had never heard of Nick Gage and the whole counterculture of deathmatch wrestling and once again i've done i've since done a, a talk as jericho with madman pondo and g raver and a couple of those guys just right. to delve into it a little bit more because i've never heard of it now people might just demean it and and, and say oh it's just stupid and this and everything but i don't see it that way nor did you guys to me like if you think about lucha libre or you know um shoot fight Pancras style wrestling you know it's all different genres and styles. So what is it about this deathmatch wrestling that makes these guys tick? And I respect them for it. So kind of the delve into that was I had never really seen that world before. And oh my gosh, what an unbelievable commitment those guys have to their craft.
1: That's the thing too, is that commitment to willing to do those things to your body for You know, an audience minimal pay, but
0: maybe to them it's everything, right?
2: Yeah, it's all about. It's not about the money, that's for sure. It's all about the. It's about that thrill, the adrenaline, and going nuts. It's kind of like being like a metal fan, which we all are here on this this call. (laughs) But um, it's like you know you're you're you know you're you're into the thrash metal, you're into that stuff, and you like that's what I equate to like normal wrestling. But then you're like, oh shit, there's this napalm death shit. You know what's that all about? And then, you know, then then you're yeah, it's like discovering this new kind of genre of, of of metal in a way. And it's like, well, this is really extreme and it's got a vibrant community and it's it's definitely in the underground. It's always going to stay in the underground, but that's cool. And um, so, yeah, for us, like, yeah, this was just like this was, you know, man, I remember the first cut seeing it when it was like, you know, it was the unfiltered on, un, you know, there's no standards and practices uh, taking a, having us take <laughs> out certain moments. I mean, it was like watching a snuff film. I know. <laughs> like I can was like barely watching it like this. I like could could barely <laughs> there's there's parts
0: it. that I still think about, like ooh, like the the, the, yeah. uh, the light bulb tube that basically goes into his uh, oh uh,
1: yes, his yes. back muscles. That's the tournament of Darkling.
0: Let's talk about some of the high profile interviews you landed for season three of Dark Side, like Steve Austin. But before we do, Diamond Dallas Page, a former roommate of Steve Austin back in the day, is giving you all sexy beast talk as Jericho listeners free access to the DDPY app for seven days and then a 20% uh, discount off a subscription when you sign up at ddpyoga.com Jericho. This is a great offer. If you want to know what DDP could do for you, listen to what it did for me. I know all you longtime listeners have heard me talk about DDPY for years now. It's one of the uh, cornerstones of the talk as Jericho sponsors. A great list that they have been. Uh, you know what it's done for my career, saved my wrestling career and my singing career. I do DDPY everywhere and anywhere, backstage at AEW, backstage at Fozzie gigs in hotel rooms, in my own living room, even in my front yard. Killer workout you can do at your own pace. It's good for any age and any skill level, and you don't have to be an athlete to do DDP yoga. It's so easy to get started. Just download the DDPY app. You'll get access to hundreds of workouts, to live workouts from the DDPY Performance Center in Smyrna, Georgia, and you'll get some personal motivation from DDP himself. He'll be there to coach you whenever you need a hand. Uh, You can connect the Bluetooth heart monitor to keep track of your workout data. You can stream the app to your TV so you can do the workouts on your big screen as well. Just download the DDPY app today. You can get it for iOS or Android. I've got it for my iPhone. Uh, Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Sign up for seven days of free access to the DDPY app. Take advantage of 20% off of the DDPY app as well. So you get seven days for free and 20% off the DDPY app. Think about that right now at ddpyoga.com Jericho. And don't forget to watch the inspiring story about how Dallas created the DDPY program in the new documentary, Relentless, available now on Amazon Prime. Let Dallas and DDPY change your life like he has for thousands of people. Get on the path to healthy living and stay there. Start today at ddpyoga.com Jericho. Get in the best mental and physical shape of your life and go do it now. Tell us the differences between season one where you had six episodes and then here we are in season three and we'll talk about some of the other ones. But you mentioned getting Steve Austin and getting, I mean, Jerry McDivitt, who I think I've only met once or twice in my career. That's when I had high level lawsuits thrown at me in the WWE, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So tell us kind of about the journey where you where you gained the street cred to where you now have some unlocked doors to this very notoriously private and secret world. We don't want interlopers, you know, sniffing around in our private
2: business. Right. Yeah. Especially like, you know, we are like the two different, we're like a hybrid of media and Mark, you know? And so it's like the two that you don't want inside. But yeah, with like season one, it was like, it was tough because yeah, we hadn't made anything in this world, except that I think it was like fortuitous. That we started with Bruiser Brody, I think starting with the Bruiser Brody story bought us a lot of cred because Brody like has so much you know he carries so much weight in the wrestling community like he's a wrestler's wrestler like right rest, like you're doing a story about Brody oh that's legit you know kind of thing I even remember when we were re, when we reached out to Bret Hart for the first time about doing the Montreal Screwjob episode. And Brett was like, I don't need to tell that story again. I've said everything I want to say, you know. Yeah. And then it was like, well, you know, we we just did this Brody story and we talked to, you know, Brody's, you know, uh, his widow and his family. And he's like, oh, you know, Brody meant a lot to me and Brody, you know, and then like, yeah. and then he was like, all right, I'm in, you know. And so that like that, that worked for us. But then it was like when the show came out, it, it, you know, it didn't like there was some success to it, but not it wasn't like didn't blow up. And some, uh, you know, wrestlers got a chance to see it and saw the representation and saw that, you know, we weren't, you know, trying to expose the business or exploit the business, you know, that even though we're telling some stories that are dark, like the Von Ericks, you know, or things like that, like, you know, we love it, you know, and I think that comes through, like, I think our passion for wrestling does come through amidst the tragedy of it. And I think that that was kind of a, a portrayal on television or in a documentary form that like, you don't. You hadn't really seen very much, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, outside of the WWE, I think that was a big thing too. Is like, oh, here's like a here's a vehicle to tell our stories, like outside of that universe, and we can we can delve into things that are, you know, uh, darker and maybe more taboo. And then, um, yeah, man, Chavo Guerrero Jr. I mean, we talked about it on the last uh, podcast we do with you, but without Chavo you know, him endorsing us, obviously, and him seeing the show and being a fan of it, the Brody episode, you know, because Brody meant so much to, you know, to his father. And I think that helped us, you know, meet you and meet everybody else as as far as that Chris Benoit, you know, story goes and and buying some credibility with that. And then I think when season two came out and it was like the portrayal of that and the portrayal of the Owen Hart story, I think really did solidify the show, you know, in a lot of ways to a lot of. Folks in that community, but
1: what also really helps too is the, like the family members that we want to get. There may they may not all be so hip to like see the show, our show, you know. And we've had people turn us down. That's true. And then they go and they watch the show, and they're like, "Oh, I knew I knew these people, and I and I appreciate how they were portrayed." And they come back to us after watching it, and you know, wanted to be
0: part of it. Yeah. It's interesting because you touched on it briefly and I'll reiterate for people that might not remember is that when, when Chavo came uh, to me to ask me to do the, the, the Benoit show that you guys are doing and also very closely tied in with Eddie, it was kind of both of them. I remember him saying like, you know, because when i think of these kind of behind the scenes there's one that always pops in my head it was probably i don't know 15 20 years ago it was like the real secrets of wrestling and they somehow roped harley race into it where <laughs> I remember, remember that. that one it was like some I just some stupid like you know hard copy inside edition story of wrestling where like you know then the heel pushes the grandmother but backstage they laugh and they wink at each other. And the little kid gets a piece of pizza later on after the bad guy yelled at him. And it's like, this is stupid. Like, this is so demeaning and, and and pretentious and patronizing. So that's automatically what you think when you see, oh, dark side of the ring. Oh, well, it's going to be like some kind of a stars, you know, thing. And nothing against the stars channel, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, so totally. when, when Chavo said, like, you know, if we don't do this properly, someone else will. And it won't be done the way these guys will do it. So that was the one that really kind of turned my eyes open. And then once again, you're getting, you know, Bruiser Brody's son. You're getting, you know, Oge Hart and Athena Hart and Martha. I don't think I've ever seen Oge and Athena on camera commenting, especially not as adults. So then you're like, these guys are getting some real big level guests. This is the real deal. And I think that kind of opens the door to where when the word gets around in the wrestling world, because if it was bad it would get around and if it's good it gets around and you guys really struck uh struck a positive chord with all these stories that you're telling.
1: Well, oh, thank you. Yeah, like it's it's an it's important for us to have, you know, the people who were closest to the stories and you know, like you were mentioned all those family members that we got on board. Like to us it's Probably the most important aspect, because absolutely, you know, you're not going to you're going to get kind of I feel like a more unfiltered, like they don't have any allegiance to any company or anything like that. And, you know, they know these people better than any of the wrestlers knew them. So, you know, I feel we get the best info about our topics uh, through the family members.
2: And that's something we encounter, too, is like, you know, with the wrestling community you know there is a kind of a, a fear about speaking out you know in terms mm-hmm. of you're just your story your honest story you know because there's the fear of oh well maybe i won't get that chance back at wwe you know and i wrestled right, there yeah, 25 yeah, years yeah. ago and you know it's 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 tough and you know that, that that's the thing even though we have you know just the, the street cred we keep talking about even though we have that that's still a real fear that we deal with on a you know daily basis trying to make the show. And there are a lot of people we would have loved to have had in season three that we didn't. And some of those are folks that don't have recurrent active relationships with the WWE. But, you know, the future is, you know, and which I understand, of course, you know, but still it just shows how consolidated that world kind of has become you know who are some of those people (laughs) should i out people on the air right now Uh (laughs) (laughs) i
0: don't know know, are you talking about for stories or for actually just for guests
2: for guests Mm. like and i I think with respect to just you know not wanting to yeah bury them but i think that there's you know some some folks we would have loved to have had and it's not even for a controversial reason or a controversial story it's just here's your story but i think because our show maybe has a negative you know it's i'm sure it's not perceived well from the wwe side but you know i think just being a part of our show might taint that individual for any few possible future opportunities
0: there was one and this this isn't out of school there was there was because we were talking with the ultimate warrior episode about how we would have liked to have seen somebody that not to give anything away but warrior did not have a great reputation throughout the business and it was almost hard to find somebody that was a friend of his to to tell the other side of the story. For for example, I know that Owen Hart was very close with him, but obviously you can't speak to Owen. But there was is there, was it Flair that you wanted to talk to? or Was it Hogan or somebody along those lines?
2: Um, it was Sting. 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 That's it. Sting. That's it. Yeah. And yeah. some guys
0: just don't want to tell that story, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. We wanted Hogan as well too. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's true. Yeah, we definitely wanted Hogan.
0: And obviously, you can't get Hulk because of the WWE tie-in, right?
2: I I don't know exactly. Like you know, I I, I think maybe. Maybe Hogan has, you know, Ken. I, I don't know, though. I don't gotcha. know that for sure. I we, We've always wanted to talk to Hogan. You know, Hogan's always been Just in like, general. Yeah, <laughs> in general. Like, you know, there's so many stories that we're covering that obviously, you know, come back to Hogan or come back to Vince. And like with season one, we wanted him in the Randy episode for obvious reasons. Right. Season two. He probably never would have done it, but we would have loved him in the David Schultz episode because he's connected to that story. I mean, imagine that. That would have been great because they were so close and they came up. You know, in those early, early days, I mean, you know, David Schultz remembers walking into a club where Hogan's on base and this is before he (laughs) was a wrestler. He's just on base, you know, he's like sleeping on his couch. (laughs) Yeah, he's sleeping on his couch. And then season three, we got Warrior, which is a huge part because, you know, Hogan passed the torch to Warrior at WrestleMania six. And also, you mentioned it earlier, the steroid trials. I mean. There's a huge, you know, Hogan obviously embroiled in the first, the the George Zahorian trial and also uh, testified against Vince in the uh, in Vince's trial, you know, when Vince was indicted. And that is interesting because it looks into the relationship between Hulk and Vince and how complicated it is, because that was right at the time that Hulk left to go to WCW. And now he's the government is subpoenaing him to testify against Vince. I mean, that you don't get more. Uh, yeah. Wrestling uh, angle in real life, right there. So, you know, it just would it just would have been amazing. But you know, I, I don't know. I think you know, Hulk's a careful man. I mean, it's so funny that uh, you know we interviewed a Tony Anoki, which was oh my god, that's like,
0: amazing. Yeah, and that was for the uh, Korea WWE in Korea show. Yeah,
2: yeah, and uh, that was a, that was amazing, and you know, to be able to interview him, but. You know, um, Anoki says in the episode, you know, Hogan's a careful man uh, and he didn't want to come over to North Korea, which I'm not going to make that one, brother. I can't make that one, brother. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but um, (laughs) but that kind of speaks to maybe that's uh, true for, you know, his Dark Side of the Ring appearance. But maybe who knows? Season four. I want to find a spot for Hogan for sure. If we can. That's that's my next goal.
0: Another episode coming up this season is about the WWE steroid trials. And you actually got Vince McMahon's top lawyer, Jerry McDevitt. So we'll talk about how that episode came together. But first, I want to share some good news from my favorite breakfast makers. Magic Spoon Cereal. Drum roll this, please. is a brand new Magic Spoon Cereal flavor. Birthday Cake. Oh, my gosh. It's only available in a special five-pack for a limited time. But you get this new delicious flavor while you can. You got to go check it out. Just like all the Magic Spoon Cereal flavors, Birthday Cake has all the deliciousness and none of the bad stuff. Check this out. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar. 13 grams of protein and only 4 net grams of carbs in each serving. It's also 140 calories per serving only. Keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, GMO-free, low-carb. So get the new birthday cake in the special five-pack while you can, and you can build your own custom bundle with available flavors, including cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, and cinnamon. And my fellow Canadians, this includes you as well. Magic Spoon now ships to Canada. So you can get in on this delicious breakfast action as well. Go to magicspoon.com/slash Jericho today and grab the new limited edition birthday cake flavor or your own custom bundle. And be sure to use the promo code Jericho at checkout to save five bucks off your order. It's uh the offer is good anywhere in the US or Canada, but only when you use my promo code Jericho at checkout. And Magic Spoon is so confident you'll love their cereal as much as I do that it's backed with a hundred percent happiness guarantee. If you don't love it, They'll refund your money. No questions asked. So get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Jericho and use the promo code Jericho at checkout to save five bucks. Uh, That's magicspoon.com slash Jericho. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for supporting Talk is Jericho and for being the breakfast of the champion. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned, I know for season one, um, that and maybe you told me this, or maybe I just heard this through the grapevine that Vince was not a fan of the show. And why would he be? Because it's a lot of dirty laundry being aired. But I remember even when I when I started working with you guys to narrate the second season, I think it was maybe my agent, my, my manager was like, "Oh, Vince is going to flip on this one." <laughs> but here we are now for for this season. You talk about the WWE steroid trials, which is one of the episodes, and you have Jerry McDivitt that we found out later. Obviously, had to get the permission. Uh, from the WWE, aka Vince, to do the show, and he's gotten it. So, do you feel that Vince has lightened up his stance a bit, or wh- why would he allow? You know, and Jerry McDevitt, for those who don't know, is Vince's top, top, top lawyer for many, many years—maybe thirty, forty years. And like I said, you don't see him or hear from him unless something's really bad. I got two calls in my life from Jerry McDevitt, and both times I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> he was there to help. He was there to help me. But still, when you see that number on the phone, you're like, oh, my gosh, did I get booked for murder or what did I do this
2: time? (laughs) Exactly. No, Jerry, Jerry's a oh, man, Jerry's a great guy, first off. And uh, it is kind of like miraculous that, you know, we have him for the show. And man, we thank him for that, because I don't know what this I I mean, first and foremost, the steroid trials is probably one of the more significant out of the ring events of the 90s in wrestling. And we all it's always been on our radar since we actually tried to make it for season one. But, you know, there was just we couldn't get people to talk to us for it. And I, again, so, you know, the fans of our show, the viewers of our show really want to see it. So we tried again to put it together for season three. And there I don't think that there was a way for us to tell this story legitimately without someone like. Jerry McDivitt to kind of build it around. And that's what we've done with this episode, because this is a masterclass of Jerry McDivitt as an incredible, unbelievable attorney. That's what this is. You know, even though you look in the when you look into the weeds of the story, you see that the prosecution's case against Vince McMahon was pretty thin, but still McDivitt, is you know annihilates uh in this trial (laughs) and i think that has a lot to do with why you know from the wwe perspective that you know it's okay to tell this story because you know they came out on top you know and they they won and they are the baby faces of this story you know in a lot of ways and it was just it was awesome it was i mean honestly the experience from the fan perspective and you know as a, a documentarian if you will to make this uh, and to be able to to speak to Jerry and ask him about this, I mean, that was probably one of the more exhilarating moments just making the show, because now we're kind of crossing that line a little bit. Now we're on the other side of this fence a little bit. And who knows? I, I, I'm just hoping that with Jerry McDivitt's participation in the show, it's going to unlock more possibilities for us. Like, I'll, I hope it unlocks Michael Hayes. That's like the next thing I'm hoping that, like, you know, let me let us tell the Freebird story now. Finally. Oh, wow. Powerful. Yeah. You know, like, please, you know, so I'm hoping it unlocks Michael Hayes and, uh, and unlocks some other opportunities because that would be really cool, you know.
1: <laughs> Un- unlocking characters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Like downloadable characters, yeah.
0: But that's it, <laughs> very interesting, too, because, you know, I like those sides of the stories, too, because, once again, it doesn't involve somebody that's passed away or whatever may be. And there's, once again, like, it being kind of the narrator for this show, I'm kind of privy to some of the uh, earlier moments and... I don't even know what the topics are until you guys send them to me. And I'm seeing some of these ones are like, like the FMW, uh, is a great story. Obviously talking about kind of the first hardcore deathmatch uh, company in Japan that was selling out stadiums for, for, for many years. Um, tell us about that story.
2: Oh, um, so our pleasure. <laughs> so during the pandemic, Like, you know, that was the wrestling I was watching was FMW going back and watching this stuff and just sending Jason these clips of like the ring in the middle of an electrified pool. And the wrestlers have to take little boats out to the ring, (laughs) you know, and and that's (laughs) that's amazing. Like how cinematic like as a filmmaker, I can appreciate how cinematic that is all of that is and it's like when you go back and you watch um Terry Funk and Onita tear it up in the first ever exploding you know ring match and you watch that and then you know Chris you you actually uh described it you know to us in the interview perfectly of you know here's like you know like uh Terry Funk is about to lose this match and he's going to be stranded in the ring as it's exploding and Onita goes in he's like oh you know as the as the timer is you know clocking down and he's like this this is my hero Terry Funk's my hero I got to save him And he goes in and saves him, slaps him awake, and then the ring explodes. It's just the best drama ever. And then it's amazing just to see after that this epilogue of like where both men are like have each other in their arms and they're, you know, crying. And then there's like this emotional Japanese guitar solo work, you know, that's like (laughs) underscoring all of it. And it's just it's literally some of the best cinematic wrestling. Talk about cinematic, you know, the undertaker wrestlemania match this is that way before that you know but in front of an audience and it's like man it's just the main reason to do this is just to put it over for me that's
1: yeah when like evan started going down that hole the fmw hole like and was just feeding me stuff it was instantly it was like we didn't even know what the story was yet it was just this footage is so unbelievable and it is like it is sucking us in and like we're so captivated by it that you know we knew audiences would be
0: as well. I like when these stories are told because what people don't understand, or I'm saying that very generally, what they might not understand is that yes, there is electrified barbed wire, double hell <laughs> death matches and all this other stuff. But it all boils down to the fact that Onita, who was basically a washed up junior heavyweight that could barely walk, became legit the top baby face in Japan because of his character, facials, expression, crying like, He was so over with this kind of deathmatch, you know, pseudo shoot fight background in the ring uh, for his company. But it boiled down to the fact that that guy was just a masterful babyface.
2: Unbelievable. And you see like just the whole rise of Onita, just like you said, is so... It's such an interesting story because here's a guy, yeah, who was a junior heavyweight. He had this injury. I think he was trying to step like off of the ring apron and like accidentally tripped and like, you know, tore tore his knee and like that was it. Like it was just an accident. You know that that's what sidelined him. And then he realized that you know he tried like some other side gigs, side hustles to make money after he retired. But what he started doing is he started seeing these like master karate fighters that were in Japan. And he challenged them to a hybrid of wrestling and martial (laughs) arts. And in in the papers, he's like, I want these guys are, you know, they they think we're phony. I think they're phony. I'm going to, you know, challenge them. And that was like MMA before. MM, I mean, obviously you had the Inoki uh, Muhammad Ali match, but that's what he was kind of trying to put together. And so he had these insane, I mean, they were, they were predetermined matches, but, they would go in and kick the shit out of each other for real. <laughs> yeah. They were like some of the most like horrifying footage ever. These guys kicking each other in the face and stuff in these matches. But that's how Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling launched. And then it just grew into this, you know, insane, hardcore extravaganza. But you also had incredible women's matches. Some of the best you'll see of that era of like the mid 90s. Like, if you go back and you watch Combat Toyota versus Megumi Koto, like, yeah. that match in FMW with the barbed wire ring ropes, unbelievable. And, and and they they can use those elements, those hardcore elements, in a way that works for storytelling. It's not just the, like, here's the stunt they really know how to work it in terms of a match to build the suspense and the payoff. And of course it's in front of 20,000 plus people too, which is just amazing to see.
0: My first match in FMW was a six man. I think, I don't know if I told the story or not. And uh, it was uh, me and uh, Lance storm. We were listed as Kleis and runts. I told you <laughs> uh, on the paper, cause they couldn't pronounce Chris and Lance. And uh, I was in there with a guy called Wada, who was a kickboxing champion my very uh-huh. first match in Japan at 20 years old. This kickboxing champion is just literally kicking the shit out of me, and I was like, "This isn't re- this isn't the wrestling that I just trained in." Tackle, <laughs> drop, to leapfrog, get it again. This guy's kicking me in the f- face with his kickboxing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, and and obviously our you know our story gets into the rise of Onita, but it also gets into there's a criminal underworld that's involved in this. Yes, because right FMW, you know, or the the uh, yakuza uh, is very is is deeply connected with you know pro wrestling and the events and the arenas and all that stuff and like sabu who we interviewed for the episode as well goes in to talk about oh how, wow yeah yeah which is amazing he goes in and talks about how <laughs> this amazing story about how all the you know japanese guys at fmw were like you know when you when you get thrown over the guardrail do not get thrown over into that section yeah, where those course, guys yeah. are sitting because that's where all the yakuza guys are sitting but of course he's like i don't give a fuck you know and yeah. and of course he he takes a big tumble over the guardrail into the yakuza guys and and everyone's just like oh no and then there it, it spirals into this like backstage confrontation where these yakuza guys are beating the shit out of sabu in the back and the only person that that can save him is mike awesome who comes in and you know saves him and throws all the yakuza guys off of him and saves him that's
0: amazing it's funny because i thought for some reason that we had done that one already but the reason why i'm thinking because i did an interview for it but i haven't seen that show yet so i'm excited to see uh what you got for that another great story that it's one of those ones that over the years apparently there was 500 people on this plane because everybody says they were there Uh, I can tell you I was not there. And that's, of course, the plane ride from hell. And I'm also very curious as to what people are saying because there was two or three or four different plane rides that had things going on that I've seen kind of intertwined because I was on another plane ride where Vince was out of control. This was not the same as the plane ride from hell. So I'm curious to see how that one came together.
2: Wow. Plane ride from hell, uh, always been a subject that, People have wanted us to tell and we've been like, really, Uh, you know, and and trying to figure out a way to make it into a full hour.
0: Yeah. How do you do that?
2: It's been a challenge and uh, or it was a challenge in previous time, you know, but for some reason, I think if you were to take like after season two, if you were to take all the fan responses of like what they want to see from us, I think Plane Ride would probably be at the top of that list, which is odd, but that's what people really want to see. So, okay, we'll we'll try to do it. And then when we started filming this and putting it together, and we've seen cuts of it now, we've and we're not finished with it yet. Man, it's one of the most exhilarating episodes I think we've ever done.
1: Yeah, I just like watched the first cut the other night, and I like put it on super late, thinking I was going to pass out, and I was so riveted by it. Like we haven't even filmed the reenactments for it and just hearing these stories like it's like evan said like we it's been something that's it's been on our radar ever since the conception of the show you know whenever you talk about you know the side of wrestling the story like always comes up but it's always been presented in this way that's kind of like um like it was like a big joke or some like martin scorsese like wolf of wall street like (laughs) insane scene you know but when you like hear it from like the perspective, you know, some of the people who worked on the plane, like it's a, it it, it is like a, a literally a, like a ride to hell, like is like what it sounded like.
2: It's right after for those who don't know, it's right after a European tour. Um, which from what I understand can be pretty grueling in the WWE. Right.
0: You're doing like, you know, fifteen shows in fifteen days sort of thing. Not easy.
2: Yeah, and you're like going to UK, Germany, you're going all over the place. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So the uh, WWE chartered a, I think, a 757 jet, you know, for everyone to travel on. And so and then this is this plane ride from hell takes place on the last day going home. And this is all a recipe for disaster because the plane was grounded for seven hours because of weather. So you have imagine the WWE roster probably not happy after this grueling tour to be grounded for seven (laughs) hours so what do they do they keep bringing in carts of liquor yeah when one cart of liquor is depleted the second comes in and then the third comes in and now we're about to fly seven hours over the atlantic where there's no escape and you know (laughs) everything descends into pure So who
0: who did you get for that because i mean obviously this is a, a wwe plane
2: well funny enough you know a lot of the folks that uh you know, we we spoke to for this story. I mean, obviously, there there are those in which we will remain nameless who were like, no, 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 I'm not going to be on that show. Right. but um, <laughs> but you know, a lot of the ECW cats were on that. Uh, you know, were on that because uh, that was during that time. Uh, was that? I think it was 2002. I think, if memory serves me correct, it was right that time when WWE was uh, transitioning from WWF to WWE and going public and all that stuff. And so you had folks like you know Tommy Dreamer, Just Incredible. Uh, Rob Van Dam, so a lot of those those guys will appear in the episode talking about it, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it is a uh, it's it's a little bit of a horror show that episode. I will say.
0: give us one small story that happened on that plane.
2: Sure, I think where one of the things really gets okay, it starts with like the fun and games where you know I hope this doesn't now deter Michael Hayes from being part of the future Freebirds <laughs> episode. But I think those yeah. in the know know Michael Hayes' uh semi reputation, but he got a little, you know, because hey you know, 7 hours is grounded open open bar if you will. Uh he was getting a little out of control and um x Pac goes up and cuts his ponytail off. That's kind of one of the more infamous moments and, yeah and he's holding up the ponytail as like a uh, as like a you know a trophy yeah. a trophy and we learned yeah it's amazing and then we learned later on that uh they someone like the next night on raw because this is after the one of the pay-per-views this is that's right is after one of the pay-per-views over in europe uh the, like the ponytail was still making the rounds like you know in backstage <laughs> and like <laughs> jr comes in contact with the Ponytail because the you know and Jr is on the episode and he's right. fantastic you know always and 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 yeah. always always great and you know Jr you know you know sees someone is like you know taped the ponytail to a door or something and he he's like okay this has got to stop here and he takes the ponytail and he throws it in the garbage and it's amazing to know that Michael Hayes's ponytail in <laughs> thrown in the, <laughs> in the garbage <laughs> thrown in the gonna throw that ponytail away shoot that yeah I can't wait so that's amazing. <laughs> But I think where things really so, so that's all fun and games. And then where things start to take a dangerous turn is when Kurt Henning and Brock Lesnar get into a shoot fight in the near the fuse, you know, in the fuselage, you know? Yeah. And, and and like the flight attendants cannot contain these guys from going at it on the plane, uh, which is very dangerous. And then the pilots gotta come back and try and talk sense into these guys. And so then there there are moments in which like, you know, everyone's life. Is at stake here, you know. Uh <laughs> and then it descends into the surreal, you know, um Gold Dust, you know, is uh, we had just recently split with Marlena and they were going through a rough time. And 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 so he picks up the he he commandeers the the intercom PA, of the yeah. plane and he starts, you know, trying to, you know, serenade her and sing to her to try and win her back. It, it is. It's pretty nuts. You can't yeah. write it. I don't think, it's, yeah, I don't you, think could. you can write this. Yeah. So no
0: another story you tell in season three is about bruiser bedlam. Uh, my former roommate when I was in smoky mountain wrestling, another a really interesting and, and tragic story. We'll talk about how you got involved with this guy and with this one. But first I want to say thanks to Geico for making talk as Jericho possible. I know everyone listening right now, for the most part, either owns or rents their home, and I know that's hard work, but you know what's easy is bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy, and it's a good thing as well because you already have so much to do around your home. Just go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Get it now. Get them bundling policies. It's so much easier. GEICO.com. GEICO.com. Another uh, great story. Well, uh, when I say great, obviously there's there's tragedies and sadness behind it, but a, a, an amazing tale is about a guy that not a lot of people know, but those who did know him uh, knew just how charismatic and, and, and funny he was. Someone Johnny Kane, i of Bruiser Bedlam. Like I said in the, in the show, I was a roommate of his in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and funny guy, great guy who ends up you know blowing up a police station with his biker gang. Et cetera, et cetera, So how did you kind of stumble upon the tale of Johnny Canine?
2: <laughs> well, honestly, it was, uh, it was, it was Cornette just said, Hey, um, if I have one request, if I could make a request for the show, please, you know, do, do Bruiser Bedlam if you can, because I, I really want to find out what, because, you know, I think, you know, you, you, everyone, you, Lance, Cornette all speaks to the fact of um, they didn't want to believe right that this, same guy who was so lovable and so uh, amazing could be capable of such, you know, blowing up a police station or even worse, potentially murder, a maybe homicide. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so I want to find out the truth, you know, and and so it was like it was kind of an assignment is kind of how we looked at it, you know, um, and uh, boy, just you know, for us, and, and you know, Jason, please uh, chime in. It's like, you know, for us, it's like these are the most exhilarating episodes to make because. Yeah, you have some knowledge of, you know, most of the subjects that we're talking, P- Brian Pillman, Ultimate Warrior. You know, we know these stories, but to work on an episode about Johnny Canine, who we know almost virtually nothing about, those are the most fun because it's really a journalistic exercise. If it comes into that, you know, Jason. Yeah, it's like, like
1: Evan was saying, like to be able to do, you know, these kind of, um. Like these stories that we haven't really heard much about. Like we, I haven't heard the story of Johnny Canine before we worked on Dark Side of the Ring. And for me, you know, being Canadian and having it be like this <laughs> Canadian story and like, you know, the the like northern like Ontario accent that you hear from all the characters yeah. in the episode, it's so it's so endearing. And he is like, yeah, it's like it's it's hard to believe that he could have committed some of these crimes because he is such a endearing character he almost reminds me of like someone from like the trailer park boys or something like when you totally you know he's like he's got these schemes where he's like buying like you know pounds of marijuana and like him and his wife are like spraying it down with coca-cola and whiskey mixed together to to (laughs) To make make it it, heavier yeah Yeah. like uh but it's like are you on your mine yeah
0: <laughs> she's from the trailer park boys for sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. she's
1: amazing she is so cool and like just to hear how you know they met like she was you know working in a strip club as like a uh like she was doing like a roller skating uh stripper sure, strip routine, yeah. and yeah. you know she sees this guy like walk in And just like the whole room is just like staring at this guy. And he like locks eyes onto her and he like sits down. He puts like one girl on his lap and he just like yells at her, like, you know, what did he yell? He's like, turn around and show me that ass. And then that like made her like, be like i love this man
2: and yeah and that's what's so great about this about that episode too i mean it really is one of my favorites of the upcoming season because you know for those who don't know johnny K9, aka bruiser bedlam like he looks like a that turn of the century strong man with the handlebar mustache and just a giant yeah, great call barrel chested guy who's just you know, it's it's such a weird brand of human to be endeared by, I feel like, you know, for her, you know, <laughs> but what's amazing is through all of this, through his many times in jail, being implicated in these crazy crimes and, yeah, blowing up police. stations she's she's so in love with him. And she that, that that's what comes through in the episode. And I love that so much. He's like, oh, I just love him, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like and just through all of that, like, you know, she takes him back and you know, SWAT teams are busting down their doors and yet she's like, I f- love him, you know, <laughs> and it's like it, I love it. there's like some beauty in that. And I'm so glad we were able to capture that. I
0: almost called you guys. It was like, uh, like I said, i meant it telling the story about him washing dishes, but there's a couple of like, how could you not put the story in where he would just need a new pair of flip flops, go to Walmart, take a new pair <laughs> off the floor off the off the wall put them on and leave or go to the wendy's buffet where he just grabs a, a tray and just starts putting food directly on the tray and eating it and not giving a <laughs> shit it's like how could you not include those include
2: those stories i i was anticipating your 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 reach out on those and the truth is there is so many of the like so like this is the episode where you get so many guys coming together being like let me tell you about this johnny canine guy like so there everyone's got the like You know, let me tell you about, you know, and and there's so many of them that the whole episode could be that and it would be entertaining. And, yeah, some of them, like, I mean, also, we didn't even talk. I mean, the one I the one I regret that's not in there that, you know, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll edit a compilation. There's going to be a 10 minute Johnny Canine, (laughs) you know, best of uh, collection that we're going to (laughs) release. Don't worry. But there's the, uh, you know, you can't talk about honking on Bobo, uh, you know, (laughs) you can't talk about that standards and practices wouldn't let that go through standards and practice won't have honking on Bobo in there. But uh, there's that one. When you told me that, I mean, I lost my shit for a week uh, on honking on Bobo, but and and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, him commandeering the the like drum kit you know i mean there's this amazing moment in the episode where i think it says everything you need to know about his personality where he's totally that type of guy where you just see an idle drum set you know in the background and yeah of course i got to get on it and start playing you know (laughs) and i don't know how to play it but like you know i'm gonna be that center of attention and that is johnny K9. so don't worry there's gonna be a whole best of collection
0: one of the the other stories that I want to touch on before we split is uh, is the story of Chris Canyon, which is interesting because right before you guys called me to uh, to do an interview for Chris, I had just done a talk as Jericho with a couple of his closer friends and kind of delved into his uh, his story. Very interesting, especially when you think about what he went through uh, even ten years ago which is so much different now in 2021, as far as how, you know, gay men and homosexual men are perceived, but it kind of was one of the things I think that led to his downfall was the fact he was a a gay pro wrestler.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, Chris Canyon, uh, I mean, I, I grew up as such a fan of his, even before I knew that he was Chris Canyon, you know, like Mortis, you know, like, uh, I, I remember growing up in Minneapolis and, you know, uh, going to those nitro shows, you know, and then here comes the glacier with the snowfall and, you know, Mortis and this mortal combat, you know, video game come to life uh, thing was so awesome. And I remember that someone in like my middle school, at the time, you know, when I was growing up was like, you know, every time you see a mortise match, you're going to notice a move that you've never seen before, you know? And I I remember that as a kid that always stuck with me is, and every time he he came on nitro, I would always wait for like, yep, never seen that move before. And so he always was like this to me, this innovator of like in ring, you know, stuff like who I think also just way ahead of his time. Um, And it's kind of like, again, one of those guys who's foreshadowing a little bit where wrestling would go. I feel like in a lot of ways in terms of, you know, the, 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 the in ring side. And then, you know, viewers of our show were just, you know, always, and I think even hurricane too, like, you know, Shane Helms on Twitter was, you know, petitioning for, you know, us to cover this story. And, you know, for us again, checked all the boxes immediately. And of course, Diamond Dallas page, and just like, you know, looking at, You know, here's a guy who just tragically, you know, felt because of the locker room culture and or because of the wrestling culture, you know, masculinity at that time and to really have to protect who he really was. And then later on, we find out that through his WWE career that, you know, he's kind of testing the waters of coming out through different the proposal of different character ideas and things. It's just a really sad story of a guy who I think, you know, having to keep up appearances with you know, trying to, you know, put on a facade that he's living with another woman and just really, you know, looking into that whole side and the, and and the unfortunate mental toll that it took on him, you know, um, into his final days is, is heartbreaking. But so I think, you know, with this episode, it's going to open a lot of eyes into that. And also to a lot of the guys that, you know, like, like yourself, that, that, that knew him, you know, coming up into the, through the business, but also spotlighting, just an incredible wrestler you know just one of the best
1: yeah his impact like i don't know people quite know the extent of the impact he has and hopefully that will shine light on it like we were lucky to get you know the young bucks involved as well too and they were they were really close with him and while he was going through all that stuff like they were pretty young they were were like probably around like 19 and so having to deal with someone who's going through that kind of you know, mental trauma at the time. Like,
0: yeah, he, he really reached out to them when he was going through all these problems, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Exactly. And that was something that was really eye opening to me because, like, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with their connection, you know? Mm-hmm. And, me neither. Um, yeah. Me neither. Yeah. And then, you know, they were telling us the story is I, I can't imagine a 19 year old kid. Uh, you know, a, a, as they were, and getting phone calls from Chris, being like, you know, and, and saying like, you know, I'm 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 gonna take my own life, and and then they're like 19, like, what what, what am I supposed to do with this right, information? Say, and yeah, I'm not I'm not equipped enough to handle with this and that pressure and all that stuff, and so that was eye opening to me. And some of the, I mean, we had some amazing interviews for this episode. I mean, obviously DDP was fantastic. Uh, Jim Mitchell was. Uh, oh wow. To, through the screen, uh, in this episode, literally. Um, and just, you know, yeah. So this one I'm really looking forward to, I think, you know, the th- Chris Canyon is one I'm really looking forward for people to, to discover and see. And Jason and I were just finishing up the Grizzly Smith story that, that one too, I think is one that, you know, is going to be, is going to make yeah. a lot of waves, you know, th- that's another one uh,
0: just uh, this crazy story of, of Jake, the snake Roberts and his family and, um, stuff I didn't know about that. You know, and, and I was going to ask you guys who, who some of your favorite guests were, and I'd have to say watching Jake the Snake. I mean, you could do a show just on him, and you probably will, but what a what a great storyteller. And it's very interesting because I text him to tell him that, and he said, like, you and I should do stuff together. And I said, what? He goes, I don't know. I said, why don't we do a series of Talk as Jericho's? where you just tell stories, you know, we can go into some of the, maybe your time in triple a or whatever, maybe because the guy's just a riveting storyteller in both the ultimate warrior episode. And then of course, in the episode about his own father, who uh, was not a very uh, good person in any way, shape or form.
2: No. And, you know, Jake is absolutely, I mean, we had him on season one, just, you know, as more of a talking head kind of in terms of talking about Randy and, and talking about Gino Hernandez, but, Jake, when you put him on in front of a camera, I mean, he is just he's just it's a poetry in motion. I mean, this guy is just, you know, he, he seems like one of these characters out of the old west, you know, who's come out of a different time. Period, right. Right. Transported. And he's just so captivating. He speaks so he just commands your attention because he's so riveting to watch and to listen to. And, you know, for us, it was like Jake's story has been told in a lot of different arenas. I mean, you know, the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts you know beyond the mat in some cases and you know beyond the mat as a documentary you know was influential to jason and i obviously i saw it in the theater when it came out and 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 that was the first glimpse you know as fans you really got into a lot of this dark side of wrestling and man like you know jake drops a bomb in that episode where he says you know this is like he taught that episode in that documentary beyond the mat he talks about you know, his father and he talks about some of the abuse and he talks about how his sister was kidnapped and he talked about all this, who his mother was and he talks about this crazy stories, but that's kind of the the end of it that you just get a glimpse of it in the beyond the mat. And so for us, it's like, we want to get Jake back in the show somehow, but we don't want to retread some of the same, you know, stuff that was covered right. in, 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 DDP's doc. Cause we don't want to undermine that, but like, how can we tell a different story? And it's like, well, let's see if we can get all the siblings together you know, and Robin, Sam Houston, and, and even Richard, who is not a wrestler, but he's their brother, and talk about their upbringing and how that's shaped their lives moving forward, even though that's a dark, dark story. Is there a way we can tell it, you know, with some, you know, like in an effort to help people who may be going through similar things and, 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 and make it have some real meaning and, you know, behind it. And, and lucky enough, all the siblings wanted to participate and, and open that door thankfully. But the result is a really, really heavy, 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 heavy ride and experience. But I think it does have a positive message at the end of it.
0: At the end of it. Yeah. Um, Who were some other, your, uh, some of your other favorite interviews that you spoke to?
2: Uh, Well, Jason, feel free to chime in. I mean, you know, Tracy from the Johnny, you know, Johnny K-9's uh, <laughs> yeah. Widow for sure is incredible. Oh, um, God, yeah. But uh, yeah, she she ranks uh, Sherry Tyree, uh, Ultimate Warrior's, uh, you know, first wife. Uh, she I uh, just, I think, is so endearing in that episode. And well, we probably wouldn't have done that episode without her because, you know, she really delves into what it's like. You know, to be swept up into the wrestling business. I mean, she married yeah. a chiropractor, for Christ's sake. You know, she right. that's what she, she thought she was just having this normal life, and all of a sudden she's, you know, putting the tassels on the dingo warrior, you know, a couple of years later. <laughs> you know, and just and then of course WrestleMania and how that all just spiraled into a different life for her. And I think she humanizes him in a really interesting way. And she was just so sincere. Amazing interview. Um, yeah, Jake is a high one. Underrated. Here, here's one of mine. And I think this is one that might be. You know, you might not think of Gary Ports. I got the his Dino from a Dynamite episode. Kid Scott. He wrestled under the name Scott McGee. For me, every time I see him in the show, I want to give him like an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Like he is like when you talk about performance in an interview, it's kind of weird, but his like you can see the anguish that he's when he's talking about dynamite and the complexity of dynamite in his performance in the interview because he has these incredible dramatic pauses and he's so earnest and it's just like wow it's one of them it raises the hairs on my neck when i see him in that episode and yeah man scott mcgee
0: what do you think jason
2: i was really happy when we
1: got um dynamite kids uh children on board that was great yeah yeah that was like i remember when they Agreed to do it, like it was a big relief because I felt that their side of that story is so important and uh, they were great. Their perspective on that is really amazing. Same with Brian Pillman Jr., too. Like, yeah, he was great. Yeah, gosh, like the hear his perspective to me just really breaking home. It's very heartbreaking like, when he it, talks
0: about growing up with nobody to throw a, a baseball or football with. You're just whew. like, Oh, this
1: poor kid, and, yeah, you know, and like he when he talks about how like when his dad died, he thought it was. Part of an angle and a storyline. Yeah. He was just kinda as he's watching his like family like cry and grieve, he's waiting for the cameras to pop out, you know? And that to me is like I just can't think of like where a kid would have to go through a situation like that in any other, you know, art yeah, form yeah, or, it is. or mm-hmm. you know.
0: One of my favorites uh is uh, Moxley in uh, the nick gage episode and he has the line of the whole series where gage constantly has when he comes to the ring he has a bandana over the bottom of his face and his like headband over the top of his face so all you can see are his eyes and then mox tells about when he he robs the bank and it's like the only time he doesn't have a bandana over his face is when he robs a Bank.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he robs a bank. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's so uh, good. It's so good. He brings a lot of energy in that in that interview. More than I more than I would have thought, but he was great. Yeah,
0: he's very underrated as a as a character and as a performer. So oh, totally. so I guess last question for you guys, you know what I'm gonna say here. If if season three does does good, which i know I know it will do you have enough material ideas are you starting to think of some topics for a season four
1: yeah we definitely have ideas you know there's there's still like a list of topics we haven't been able to you know free
0: birds is one of them yeah, yeah, free a good idea, yeah.
1: One for sure like we like to try and keep a lot of them close to us sure. just because we want to be the first to reach out to family members and let them know that we are interested in doing the story but you know an episode we've talked about since season one that we wanted to do that's kind of like a part of our – we kind of, we have like a trilogy within the series that is like from the first season, there's the the Bruiser Brody story, the Von Erich story, and the Gino Hernandez story. Kind of all go together as this like
0: – They do, right, right.
1: The World Class Championship Texas Trilogy is like what we call it. <laughs> and we yeah. always felt like that the story of Chris Adams, who oh, uh, wow. was such an interesting you know performer, and when we were working on the show, uh, whenever his name would come up, like someone would have like a, the most insane story you've ever heard. Like you would just hear like things about how like oh one night he uh, he like he super kicked a bartender in the face in Israel and knocked the guy's eye out and he had to like <laughs> yeah. smuggle him
0: like, back what? to America
1: in the middle of the night. You know, so you'd yeah. get like crazy stories like that. And uh, you know, with his his uh, he was he partnered up with Gino Hernandez and was like kind of like the the villains for the Von Ericks. For a period of time which is like one of my favorite you know that was one of eras, my favorite yeah. angles and eras is like seeing the von erics versus gino and, and chris adams or against the free birds so yeah to be able to do chris adams and the free birds episode would really like yeah yeah like we we would love and be our dream if we could one day do the like scripted narrative sopranos epic style narrative series of wrestling and i think you could like you could do part of it or at least the first season like hone in on that era with like all in the sportatorium. Era. Yeah. yeah. The sportatorium. Yeah. Rebuild the sportatorium
2: and run <laughs> yeah. it there. It would be amazing. But also with Chris Adams, it's, it's Steve Austin, you know, Steve Austin was trained by Chris yeah. and, yeah. and he's the first guy that showed him how to run the rope. So it's what we call Steve back. It seems like it's also a,
0: kind of married his, his wife to his ex-wife, right? That's that right. time yeah. As well. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll pull a, a cornet and make a request. I think there's an interesting story of bad news. Allen. Uh, Bad news, Brown. Uh, obviously, so much there, uh, and what a what a, a character amongst characters. You could get some great interviews from from some of the That's guys true. that I know about him for sure. Anybody that challenges Andre the Giant to a fight and then waits uh, in the hotel lobby to ambush him when he comes out of the uh, elevator is worth a story, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and
0: didn't Andre go to
2: the bathroom on uh he
0: he apologized to bad news and backed down because he called bad news the n-word and then years later in mexico uh gets him with the giant ass in the corner he just unleashes his bowels on bad news to get his revenge so
2: that definitely was not in the hbo under the giant uh (laughs) documentary but you also said one other one which i thought is also really good you you mentioned which is definitely on my list is you also mentioned Art Bar uh, as a story, too. Oh,
0: yes, absolutely. That's another great yeah. You can Conan, uh, Jericho. I mean, there's a lot of great interviews you get about him as well. So totally, lots of yeah. stories in the can. And uh, this is a great season. I've seen half of the shows that we've narrated. I can't wait to see the rest. But uh, it's, it's you guys did a great job. Again, Evan and Jason with uh, Dark Side of the Ring Season 3. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Thank you so much
1: for person. all your help, too. Yeah. All right
0: we'll uh we'll be doing more uh, narration soon i hope
2: yeah oh yep, yeah definitely